Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Yeah. Well, we now know, ladies and gentlemen, that there, there are two things that bees can't do as well when they're exposed to neonicotinoid pesticides, very commonly used pesticides. Just two things they can't do, fly as long and uh, keep themselves from dying from uh, the infestation of Insects even smaller than them. You're a bee and you're thinking, these pesky little things. What? They're mites. Mighty mites, apparently. Bees exposed to a neonicotinoid pesticide fly a third of the distance that unexposed bees are able to achieve. And they still got a third. Flight behavior is crucial for determining how bees forage. Reduced flight performance from pesticide exposure could lead to colonies going hungry and pollination services being impacted. Oh, well, now it affects us. So, Foraging bees are essential pollinators for the crops we eat and the wildflowers in our countryside. This according to Imperial College, Imperial College London. Compromising bee flight performance could impact the pollination service. The uh, study published in the journal Ecology and Evolution, <laughs> well, they're half right, reveals how exposure by a common, to a common class of neurotoxic pesticide, a neonicotinoid, reduces individual flight endurance, both distance and duration, in bumblebees. Bees uh, studied uh, and exposed to the neonicotinoid in doses they would encounter in the wild, in fields, fly significantly shorter distances and for less time than bees not exposed. It could reduce the area in which colonies can forage for food by up to 80%. And open some uh, convenience stores for bees, you know, so they don't have to fly as far. Intriguingly, exposed bees to, seem to enter a hyperactive-like state in which they initially flew faster than unexposed bees. They may have, therefore, worn themselves out. One of the authors of the study says these um, neonicotinoids are similar to nicotine. Well, who would have guessed that? In the way they stimulate neurons, so a rush of hyperactive burst of activity does make sense. However, our results suggest there may be a cost, potentially through increased energy expenditure or a lack of motivation in the form of reduced flight endurance. Previous studies from our group, said the lead author, have shown that bee foragers exposed to neonics bring back less food to the colony. This is a potential mechanism to explain these findings. Can't go, couldn't go as far, couldn't get enough, couldn't get as much food. Sue me, say the bees. And a University of Guelph study, I don't uh, think the Ghibellines were involved, is the first to uncover the impact of neonics on honeybees' ability to groom themselves, thereby ridding themselves of deadly mites. They are the mites. They, they, they might, and of course... They might not. The research comes as Health Canada places new limits on the use of three key nicotinoids while deciding whether to impose a full phase-out, like Europe has done. We are exceptional. Published in the Nature, Nature Journal Scientific Reports, a study revealed that when honeybees are infected with certain kind of mites, varroa mites, and then regularly dosed 
to a neonic, their self-grooming behavior drops off. Without that self-grooming, bees are ugly. They're not as attractive. No, they're susceptible to mites that can also carry viruses that can quickly kill, according to the lead author of the study. When bee colonies began to collapse years ago, she, uh, she says, it became clear there wasn't just one factor involved. We were interested in whether there was an interaction, such as the mites and a neurotoxic insecticide. This is the first study to investigate that connection. Varroa mites are also contributing to colony collapse. have been associated with more than 85% of colony losses. They kill bees by slowly feeding off their body fat and blood and also can can transmit a virus called deformed wing virus. One of the only ways bees can protect themselves is to groom aggressively to get get the damn mites off. That's all. That's all they can't do now. Do aggressive enough grooming and distant enough foraging. Otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, they're they're in great shape. But, you know, it it, it can seem to the individual like yourself that uh, programs like this, as well as others, uh, just have this unending parade of depressing stories about us and our world. The good news is that there'll be less bad news because there'll be less news. Public relations jobs exceeded the number of jobs of reporters by more than six to one last year, up from less than two to one 20 years ago. According to Bloomberg, seems like that ratio won't be narrowing soon. Opportunities in PR are likely to increase as newer specialties that target social media gain even more importance and companies boost staff to help defend their image. Employment for PR specialists will be uh, up 9% in the coming decade, according to the Labor Department. Jobs for reporters, correspondents, and broadcast news analysts will decline 9%. PR jobs will be 282,000. News jobs, 45,000. That would extend already sizable declines in the news business. Newsroom employment fell 23% to 88,000 from 2008 to 2017. Number of newspapers dropped. While I'm speaking to you today from New Orleans, where we just lost one of our newspapers this week, it wasn't a full-time newspaper anymore. You may recall the story of the Times-Picayune announcing a few years ago. It wasn't going to publish daily. It was going to only publish three days a week, becoming the Sometimes-Picayune. Well, now it's the No-Times-Picayune. It's been bought by its competitor, which also owns the Alternative Weekly. How can it be alternative when it's owned by... Declines have been driven primarily by job losses at newspapers and journalists seeking work after being squeezed out of shrinking newsrooms often turn to public relations. Starbucks even created its own newsroom, posting original content, which is posing as news, but actually public relations. So more more good news, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the show. least good news about Starbucks. We must have lunch real soon. Your luggage is checked through. We've got inflation licked. I'll get right back to you. It's just a standard form. Tomorrow without fail. Pleased to meet you. Thanks a lot. Your check is in the mail. Marooned, marooned, marooned in a blizzard of lies. 
found in a blizzard of light Your toes and knees aren't all you'll freeze When you're in it up to your thighs It looks like snow, but you never know When you're marooned in a blizzard of lies Won't wrinkle, shrink, or peel Your secret's safe with me This is a real good deal It's finger-licking good Strictly by the book What's fair is fair, I'll be right there I am not a crook Marooned, marooned, marooned In a blizzard of lies Marooned, marooned, marooned In a blizzard of lies Watch your step when your old dog chef can't even look you in the eyes. You're cold and lost and you're double crossed when you're marooned in a blizzard of lies. We'll send someone right out. Now this won't hurt a bit. He's in a meeting now. The coat's a perfect fit Strictly fresh today Serve us with a smile I love you, darling, till I die We'll keep your name on file Maroon, maroon, maroon In a blizzard of lies Maroon, maroon, maroon In a blizzard of lies Walk on, walk on With hope in your heart And you're in for a big surprise When you're marooned Marooned Marooned, marooned, marooned In a blizzard of lies A blizzard of lies From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome to Home of Jazz Fest. Now, Harry Shearer, welcome you to this edition of the show. Speaking of a blizzard of lies, or a torrent, or just an inundation, um, I believe I shared with you in the last week or so a story from Scientific American revealed in a an obscure or arcane, as I think I described it, filing in the Federal Register, in which the United States Army Corps of Engineers, the Let Us Try people, uh, say that the new $14 billion hurricane risk reduction system built in New Orleans since the last flood caused by the United States Army Corps of Engineers, according to the two university-based investigations into that flood. That new system, $14 billion in U.S. taxpayers' money, will stop protecting us in as little as four years because of sea level rise and land subsidence, which we just found out about. Now, in this, at the same time, and slightly more publicly, the Corps of Engineers told a local TV station they're confident in the size of the levees in place right now. They'll do the job for several years, at least more than four. The the, um, Corps is thinking ahead and playing it safe 
doing a study, you see, according to the Corps. They are having, at least they had a couple of community meetings where they said, what would you like us to do? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like us to uh, build higher levees? Wouldn't that be good? Asking the people of New Orleans. Yeah, that would be good. But you know what would be better? For you to stop trying. The Let Us Try people, ladies and gentlemen, the Army Corps of Engineers, and now... Less trying, more doing, you might say. Now news of the godly. Sacramento's diocese has a little list. To quote uh, the Mikado, yes, the number of dioceses around the country that are revealing the, uh, the roll call of priests in those dioceses that uh, have been credibly accused of child sexual abuse has added a new community, Sacramento, California, capital of the Golden State. The diocese there has released a list of priests and deacons. Deacons? Now it's deacons who have been credibly accused of sexual abuse. Credible is said to represent a reasonable person's conclusion that based on the information at hand, the accusation is more likely to be true than not. So the stuff in the Mueller report would be credible. The, name, the list names 44 priests and two permanent deacons. You don't want those temporary deacons doing the abusing. From the diocese, the list was formed based on a review of personnel records of nearly 1,500 bishops, priests, and deacons from 1950 to now. The earliest reported incident occurred in 1955. The latest was five years ago. The fives are wild. The priests and deacons have all been credibly accused of sexually abusing 130 minors or young adults, age 25 and younger, 91 male victims, 39 female victims. Three men make up for nearly half of the incidents reported, 60 out of 130. The bishop, Jaime Soto, says, quote, This list is heartbreaking. It is a sickening and sobering account of the history of sex abuse by clergy in our diocese. It is repulsive to see the evil acts that were perpetrated upon innocent children and young people. I apologize for the sins and failures of the past. I am resolutely determined that such acts of abuse should never occur again in our diocese. Philadelphia, I, you know, whatever they wanted. No, he didn't say that. And uh, it's, it's, it's an apology, but it's news of the godly. It's both. It's, it's, it's two bits in one. And they're both copyrighted features of this broadcast, as is news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet Perhaps you remember the Hanford site in Washington State. It is the place where the detritus, the debris, the remains of the American program to uh, make plutonium, not war, well, not love, um, all that stuff has come to rest in Hanford, Washington. And for, uh, you know, every once in a while I get email or or tweets more more commonly from defenders of nuclear power civilian nuclear power who say the waste thing come on it's a te- it's a technical fix easy on the other hand there's this the second hanford plant tunnel storing highly radioactive waste has been stabilized 
to prevent a possible collapse. Work to fill the tunnel with concrete-like grout. Glad it's not the paper-like grout, because that wouldn't began in early October and was completed at the end of last week. Local government officials are relieved because there was a lot of snow that could have piled up on the tunnel, and you know how snow does to tunnels. The tunnel could have collapsed, said uh, head of the coalition of local governments in the area. It would have been catastrophic for our regional economy. Yeah, yeah, the high-level nuclear waste would have been bad for the economy. Concerns about the second tunnel were raised after the first one did partially collapse, you see, in spring two years ago, thanks to an unusually wet winter, just like this past one. Filling the second tunnel with grout is a temporary measure. Hey, when the sun dies, these are all going to have been temporary measures. To prevent a possible collapse and release of radioactive particles into the air, that would be bad for the economy. Plans to clean up the waste in the tunnel are going to be made in the future. We'll get to that. The waste is in the tunnel. We've significantly reduced the risk of contaminating Hanford workers, the public, or the environment, said the Department of Energy's manager for Hanford. Recent weeks have been spent topping off the grout and filling any voids. Wish someone would do that with me. I mean, after 90% of the work had been completed at the start of the month. Voids. Be gone. Also at Hanford... By 2022, two gigantic melters will be generating 2,100-degree heat that will bond radioactive waste into glass logs, Tom. Glass logs. Glass logs. Glass logs. For long-term disposal of the plutonium. The melters will form the core of a plant that will help treat 56 million gallons of waste mixed with chemicals stored in 177 aging tanks, some of which are leaking. That's bad for the economy. After two decades of construction, contractors have begun to test systems that prepare for the startups of the melter. Big questions loom, though, according to uh, Insurance News Net, about how much of the tank contents will be processed at the plant that holds the melters. Construction Two other key units in a waste treatment complex has been on hold for years while engineers grapple with technical issues. Just snap your fingers, guys. It's a fix. Plenty of other challenges remain in the gargantuan Hanford cleanup, according to Insurance News Net. The uh, cleanup began in the late 20th century. It's projected to continue deep into this century. The scope of the pollution is uh, Spe- uh, spectacular. The restoration effort is expected to cost more than $320 billion, mostly for processing the tank waste. That's according to a projection by the Energy Department. It's just waste. The state's analysis indicates the tanks will break down and the radioactive waste could make its way into the groundwater called the stuff that feeds the Columbia River at times when it doesn't get enough of its own Snowmelt. And this week, the Energy Department Secretary, Rick Perry, remember him? Uh, three three uh, government agencies wanted to uh, get rid of. The Energy Department was the third one, and he didn't remember it, and now he's running it. He sent a letter to the senator from Nevada, Catherine Cortez Masto, saying that the Energy Department will move a half-ton load of plutonium waste out of Nevada between 2021 and 2026. Last year, the Fed's announced they were moving plutonium from South Carolina to a Nevada 
security site for temporary storage before moving it on to its final destination, which I don't think they have, which would... The state of Nevada sued the federal government in hopes of stopping the shipment. Months into the lawsuit, the court learned from the feds the plutonium had already been secretly delivered to Nevada. See, this waste thing is so simple when you secretly move it. Nevada politicians were incensed. And uh, Perry got, uh, sent a letter promising to move the shipment and no future shipments from North Carolina to Nevada would be made. The reason the plutonium had to be shipped is part of a court order from South Carolina District Court a couple of years ago requiring that the Energy Department remove one ton of defense plutonium from the site of a failed mixed oxides fuel facility which would have reprocessed weapons-grade plutonium for use in commercial reactors as costs mounted the Trump administration canceled that project. So he had to move the plutonium for the court, and uh, so the two, the senator and uh, Department of Energy Secretary Perry, will take a tour of the plant in Nevada where the plutonium that's already there will be housed for two years. Perry also announced about $1 billion in upgrades at the Nevada site where the weapons-grade plutonium is being stored. Why would you think they need a billion-dollar upgrade just to store some old plutonium? It's already there. The Nevada Attorney General's office is seeking a formal court order preventing any shipments because the Energy Department's track record shows, according to the AG, the Energy Department can't be trusted. Yeah, the waste thing. We got it. Done. In hand. Covered. Don't don't worry about it. Clean, cheap, too safe to meter. That's our friend, the Adam. Ladies and gentlemen... Uh, we don't hear a lot these days from our friend uh, Ralph the Talking Computer because he's doing so much, uh, he's getting so much call center work. But he uh, he did record, because I do this feature called Dominion here on the broadcast, and uh, some people may not understand the reference. So uh, Ralph is introducing that feature by recording, of course, because he's at the call center somewhere doing customer service. But here he is now, introducing Dominion. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air. And over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Well, we're subduing, all right, in case God's watching. Revamping global food production, retooling the financial sector, moving beyond GDP as a measure of progress, and other transformative changes are needed to save nature and ourselves, according to a major UN biodiversity report. Delegates from 130 nations. Wrapped up negotiations in Paris on the executive summary. It's a summary of an 1,800-page book authored by 400 scientists, the first U.N. global assessment on the state of nature in 15 years. The uh, summary for policymakers to be unveiled tomorrow, it's previewed in Agence, by Agence France Presse, makes for grim reading. Up to a million of Earth's estimated 8 million species face extinction, many of them within decades. 
according to this draft version obtained by AFP. All but 7% of major marine fish stocks are in decline or exploited to the limit of sustainability. Humanity dumps up to 400 million tons of heavy metals, toxic sludge, and other waste into oceans and rivers every year. That's some subduing. Since 1990, Earth has lost an area more than eight times the size of Germany or Vietnam of forests that play a critical, or used to play a critical role in absorbing CO2 emissions. The heavily negotiated text doesn't make explicit policy recommendations, but will serve as a basis for redefining our objectives ahead of a meeting of the UN Convention on Biological Diversity in China next fall. But the pressure to set targets has sparked calls for a Paris moment on biodiversity similar to the stated targeted cap on global warming. We're doing well on that. The new report details how humans are undermining Earth's capacity to produce produce fresh water, I had a Joe Biden moment there, to produce fresh water, clean air, and productive soil, just to name a few ecosystem services. As I mentioned on this program uh, a couple of times before, we don't put a dollar value on the services nature provides. That's why we treat them as worthless. The direct causes of nature's degradation in order of importance Shrinking habitat and land use change, hunting for food or illicit trade in body parts, climate change, pollution, and predatory or disease-carrying alien species, invasive species, rats, mosquitoes, and snakes. Well, nobody likes rats. There are two big indirect drivers of biodiversity loss and climate change, the number of people in the world and their growing ability to consume. The way humanity produces, distributes, and consumes food, accounting for a third of land, 75% of fresh water, and a quarter of greenhouse gas emissions, is especially destructive, according to the report. Fertilizer use, which degrades the soil's ability to grow plants and absorb CO2, has risen fourfold in just 13 years in Asia, doubled worldwide since 1990. Feeding the world in a sustainable manner entails the transformation of food systems, the report says. Local food production, less demand for meat, fewer chemical inputs, use of renewable power, sustainable limits for fisheries, a sharp decline in tropical deforestation, all are feasible and would help restore nature. The report also spotlights harmful subsidies. Why, it's free market. We don't. That encourage environmentally damaging fishing, agriculture, livestock raising, forestry, and mining. The report cites estimates that tax havens finance about 70% of vessels implicated in unregulated fishing and an equal share of the soy and beef sectors that are ravaging the Amazon. It's being ravaged because, ladies and gentlemen, you know what we got. We got dominion. You don't have to be alone to feel alone. You can have someone and still be alone Everything that ever was will never be again We're only lonely people now wondering where we've been Rarely does it take you more than once or twice to learn That love is so much deeper when 
there's a strong possibility that we might often fail to see the better side of life. From New Orleans, this is Le Show. Uh, news of the land of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. They had a mass beheading recently. Did you not get the card? I saved the date, and I saved the prune and the fig. Uh, five men beheaded in that mass execution were gay. According to Gay Star News, one of the men executed had allegedly confessed to having sex with four of his co-accused terrorists. They were executed, all of the 37, at the execution for conducting acts of terrorism or working as spies for Iran. Of course, trial. (laughs) The mass execution was met with widespread international condemnation. Human rights groups say it's likely the men's confessions were obtained through torture. Where'd they learn that? Homosexuality is punishable by death in Saudi Arabia. The unnamed man allegedly confessed to homosexual acts and for hating the Sunni sect, which is the majority in Saudi Arabia. He's a Shia. He said he did all this because he belonged to the Shia sect, because he was against the Sunni sect, and because of his hate for the state and his men and his security forces, according to the document that was gotten by CNN. The man's lawyer say he denied all the charges and said his confession was a fabrication. There's extensive doubts about a number of the executed men's cases. One is a Shiite religious leader. Can I say that on the air? He, in the past, had preached for peace and unity among the Sunni and Shia sects. Uh, One of the other gay men executed, 21-year-old, no, sorry, a 23-year-old, was severely beaten prior to confessing to attending a protest. That's according to the human rights campaigners. He was accused of spreading information about protests on WhatsApp. Uh, The two younger men were held in solitary confinement, and their 
confessions were extracted through torture, according to human rights group Reprieve. And here's a nice touch from our freedom-loving friends. Following the executions, one of the men's body and severed head were hung from a pole in a public square. Y'all come. Come see the head on the pole. That's not how people in Saudi Arabia talk. A moment of insight on America's longest war. Afghanistan's government is making no headway in rolling back territory controlled by the Taliban, according to our frequent contributor, as heard on this program, the uh, Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. He is a special Inspector General. Even as the Trump administration tries to negotiate a peace agreement that would let the U.S. withdraw, Afghan army casualty rates and erosion of force levels and increased civilian deaths, which we talked about recently, all prevent President Ghani's government from breaking a stalemate with the Taliban. Both sides are incurring more casualties as they see greater leverage at the bargaining table, according to the Inspector General. If negotiators fail to secure a peace agreement, the Inspector General says, the Afghan government will be hard-pressed to increase its control over Afghanistan's population, districts, and territory. Maybe the air, maybe the um, the bugs, they can control those. From November 16 through October 18, the Afghan government controlled or influenced between 64 and 66 percent of the population. And if peace is finally reached, it may lead to an erosion in women's rights, according to the report. And that's the good news. And um, a little bit of news of the warm. What happens when water gets warmer? More male flounder. I don't know. I don't get it. But if southern flounder live in warmer water during a critical window of early development, a higher percentage become male, more than 90% in some cases. Why, that's, that's a flounder locker room. That's according to research from North Carolina State. Are those the Tar Heels? Uh, having a high proportion of adult males over the long term could, of course, threaten wild populations unless the guys figure out figure out hermaphroditisness real quick. Get the flounder scientists working on that. And it could uh, threaten the valuable commercial fishing industry, which depends on larger female flounder. Well, now, now you've got my attention. Who doesn't want larger female flounder? Field research and lab experiments show that a 4 degrees Celsius difference in average water temperature during juvenile development shifted the male-female ratio from about 50-50 to as much as 94 to 6. My, my regrets to the flounder. Will you please pass them on? That's, that's got to be frustrating for the, for the males. I would say uh, start up a flounder sports channel because they're going to need something to do. Ladies and gentlemen, um, news of the doings in the wake of the Mueller report on uh, Russian meddling. By the way, a, a, a question which I'm going to raise here just for your uh, curious thought and uh, pie-throwing. We know it's, 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 it's a known fact that uh, Russian President Putin really, really hated both Bill and Hillary Clinton. Bill Clinton 
for having presided over the the eastward expansion of NATO, contradicting the repeated assurances given to Gorbachev that NATO would not expand eastward after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And he hated Hillary Clinton because she dissed his election in 2011 and other reasons. So he had a motivation for uh, doing whatever he did in 2016. But there's no Clintons on the ballot in 2020. And yet everybody's saying, oh, he's going to do it again. And I just ask the question, you think? Really? You think? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not believing him. I'm not, I'm not uh, going, Trump, uh, go all tr- going all Trump on you. But just a question. Anyway, doings this week in the wake of the Mueller report, which uh, focused on both Russian involvement, meddling in the 2016 election, and the question of whether there was obstruction of justice committed by the uh, Trump administration or (laughs) President Trump himself. And um, you may recall, before the report was released, Attorney General Barr issued a four-page letter, which everybody took to be a summary of the conclusions in the report. And then he was asked by a congressional committee whether he, as news reports started leaking out that members of the special counsel's team were distressed with that four-page letter. Uh, Barr was asked at a congressional hearing whether he knew about that, and he said no, even though now we've learned that a couple days before that hearing, he had received a letter from special counsel Mueller saying he was displeased with the public's understanding of his report. Now, this week, Barr appeared before one congressional com- Senate committee, refused to appear before a second committee, a House committee. He refused to appear before a House committee because they wanted him to be questioned not only by Congress people, because they're such good questioners, but by staff lawyers who might actually ask good questions and would have the time to follow up. He refused to do that. He's being threatened with contempt of Congress. At the session the previous day, uh, he dealt with uh, this question of summary. Mueller had said the summary did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of his work. Barr, the attorney general, said that Mueller made clear in a phone call afterwards that he didn't believe the four-page document was inaccurate, said was ticked off of the press coverage. A- Mueller had asked that uh, summaries prepared by his team for each section of the report be published before the report itself and asked why he didn't do that, Barr said, I wasn't interested in putting out summaries, period. He denied that his four-page letter was a summary. It was just the conclusions and Barr's interpretation thereof. Um, well, I know one place that he may take questioning and... He won't be found guilty of contempt of therapy. Today, he's on the hot seat, even before he sits down. Let me summarize this for you, and believe me, this is in no way a summary. An attorney general gets specific on an all-new Dr. Bill. Five. And by Dr. Bill. Four. This whole show is a trigger warning. Three. Have a good show, Dr. Bill. Two. We're going to send Judge Judy back to law school today. One. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we don't like to do politics on this program, 
Not that it's against my professional oath, because my profession is TV host. But my guest today left a comfortable career in a law firm to re-enter public life. And now he's not sure the price is worth paying. At least that's what our intern thought she heard him say during the pre-interview. Please welcome Attorney General William Barr. Good to see you. Good to see you. Hello, Dr. Bill. Uh, my wife loves your show. That's very kind, but of course it begs the question, do you love my show too? <laughs> but, but let's not even go there. Okay. Where should we go? This is after? It's in the fierce urgency of now. Mr. Attorney General, you're in the middle of crossfire that's worse than marital strife in Warren Jeff's house. He was the famous polygamist. Ah. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I don't like answering questions when I can't decide who's asking them. I happen to think that's part of my prerogative as Attorney General. Well, you did agree to come on this show and answer my questions. Yes, I did. But if you had told me... Your lawyer would interview me for the second half hour. Uh -huh. I would have told you in no uncertain terms to go kiss Dr. Oz's sweet patootie. Okay, uh, I'm no doctor. I just play one on TV. But that sounds like something very much like defensiveness is hiding out somewhere way deep inside. Me? Well, not me. I work here. Well. But now here's what I think is interesting, Bill. Uh -huh. You don't want to answer questions from an attorney. That's correct. And yet, what is it you do for a living? I'm an attorney. <laughs> you, you see what I'm getting at here? It sounds like the fox got plum tired of guarding the chicken coop. You know, Dr. Bell, the hardest thing in the world is to deny being defensive. Because you sound defensive doing it, right? That's correct. Well, uh, so let me just summarize my position. And this is, of course, in no way an actual summary, or for that matter, a summation. That's, that's a legal thing. Okay, let me move this a little bit closer to the chase, Mr. Attorney General. Mm -hmm. We got face cream to move here. You just don't want to answer the questions of someone you think is as smart as you are. Isn't that the pebble in your mental shoe? <laughs> I, I think the whole problem here... Tell, tell, tell you what, sir. You hmm? tell me the little problems, and I'll tell you the whole problem. That, that's kind of how it works here. <laughs> All right. The problem I was having was twofold. One, the members of Congress were misinterpreting what they thought I was going to say had I come to the second hearing in the first place. And two, they misinterpreted Bob Mueller as calling my letter a summary of his report, which, to the best of my knowledge, he did not. I mean, there's a lot more to it. But, but but that's a fair summary? No, it wasn't a summary. It was an outline of my current problems. Bullet points? No, I don't do bullet points. What I was doing was summing up the key elements of what's been driving me just, just a little bit haywire here. It, it was summing up? Right. Not a summary. <laughs> now, did you hear that, audience? Uh, they're, they're smarter than we are, and mm -hmm. they could spot the bullfrog in the bathtub in what you said there. Well, <laughs> I have nothing but respect for your audience and, and for all audiences. I'm just saying that what irritated me is that Bob Mueller was irritated with the media, and the media said he was irritated with me, and I think that irritated him too, although he never told me that personally. Now, I, I don't know, Bob, you do. Is he one of those people who just kind of irritated or something or other all the time, you know, a, a, a grumpy Gus? Uh, <laughs> 
I, I think he's always been characterized as a very straight arrow. Well, you know, in my experience in this studio, Mr. Barr, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of straight arrows to make a quiver. <laughs> well, we'll work on that line in post. So have you ever seen your old friend Bob Muller in July or August, you know, around a swimming pool or at the beach? I can't think of a specific episode right now. But 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 in the course of knowing someone for that long... No, I, I, I'm sure I've seen him in... July or August. Okay, forgetting about his demeanor mm-hmm. or what you two might have been talking about. Can you remember anything about how your friend Bob was dressed? Well, informally, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. Summer-like? Uh, summery, I suppose. So summery would be a way of summarizing how he looked in those months when you saw him? Yeah, but it wouldn't be a summary, more of a... Of a a bottom-line description. Um, Bill, I'm going to shuck right down to the cob here. Mm-hmm. In your work mm-hmm. and your life, mm-hmm. I think you have a problem with making summaries. You know, Dr. Bill, if, if I think if you ask Bob Mueller about that, I think he could tell you I've summarized many things with him or for him. And I'm going to bet you can't think of any of them offhand here today with me and all these folks who've waited all this time in line. No, not at this exact moment. That's correct. You know, Bill, I've learned a couple things doing this show ever since we knocked Maury Povich off the air. Mm-hmm. One of them is that sometimes people have got to be able to communicate with each other in a variety of ways, not to always telling each other chapter and verse. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying here? I, I could repeat it back to you. I'm not sure I could actually <laughs> boil it down, frankly. Okay, this this could be a lawyer problem, Bill, or it could be a you problem. I think since you and Bob Mueller don't seem to be able to testify at the same time and at the same place, the way to solve this is to get you two together for an intensive week at the newly renovated Dr. Bill House. What do you say, audience? Well... Of course, I, I, I do have a day job. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like my uncle, Dr. Pete, said, if you want to get better, you better get. A- and he wasn't a doctor either. <laughs> Next time, a middle-aged mom discovers her teenage daughter is still a virgin. Till then, stay well. It's the only way to be. The Dr. Bill Show is a make-a-big-production-out-of-it production. Tape before a live audience at Stage Psychology City in Hollywood. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. A city council leader in Indiana has apologized for using the phrase, quote, Jude them down, unquote, in a recent meeting. The incident happened... April 15th meeting of the Jeffersonville, Indiana City Council. It's the southern part of the state. What's your point? When a local fire department employee requested a new truck, the council vice president, Lisa Gill, said, Did you mention that you actually called about that truck and actually what I call Jude them down? According to the local newspaper, the fire department employee explained he was able to lower the cost of the truck by nearly $10,000 by saying it was going to be used by a municipality. I inadvertently made a statement at a public meeting when referring to negotiations of a maintenance vehicle, Gill told the paper. My comment in reference to that negotiation was not meant to be insensitive, anti-Semitic, or offend anyone. I apologize for my comment, and it will not be used again, unquote. Dayline Root, New York. Who knew? A town clerk in upstate New York has publicly apologized to a gay couple for denying them a marriage license. Root 
Town clerk Sherry Erickson read the apology at a board meeting this week to settle a lawsuit the couple filed against the town. Settlement also included a $25,000 payment to the two parties in the uh, couple. Erickson cited a religious objection after she denied the license in July. This is in New York. It's not the South. Coupled married in another town. Couldn't marry en route. The couple said after the meeting they were satisfied with the resolution. But an inquiry by the State Division of Human Rights continues. The dean of the University of Connecticut Law School, Timothy Fisher, is apologizing for his handling of a symposium this month on Islamophobia, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism when he questioned a scheduled speech by Palestinian-American feminist activist Linda Sarsher. Dean Fisher had a po- uh, sought to postpone her speech when it appeared the program would not include anyone to speak about anti-Semitism. She was eventually permitted to speak, but not before a campus uproar over free speech. Quote, this was an error in judgment and in execution on my part, Dean Fisher said. I move far too hastily in postponing the event. I take full responsibility for my error. At the very least, I should have consulted with the faculty of the law school. Law school students had sought a public apology from the president of the University of Connecticut. They say her office intervened. But Dean Fisher said it was his decision to intervene and said he was, quote, deeply sorry for his actions. Dayline, Southern California, the Fontana Police Department. Fontana is east of Los Angeles. So far east, you can almost see San Bernardino from there. The department has apologized for a tweet that called Representative Rashida Tlaib, Democrat of Detroit, un-American. The now-tweeted leet from the police department was posted last week by an off-duty employee. Nice knowing you, the tweet read. I become bulimic because I vomit every time I hear your BS. You are one of the most un-American persons I know. You're a disgrace to the office you hold. The police department later posted a statement on Twitter apologizing and saying the previous tweet did not reflect the department's values. It included a post from a right-wing website about Tlaib's attempt to shut down ICE. The Fontana police did not identify the employee. The department said it took away that person's access to the Twitter account. The department had first blamed the incident on a hacker, but they did some fine police work. An Arlington, Massachusetts police lieutenant says he's sorry for inflammatory comments he made in a police newsletter. This thing's catching. Lieutenant Rick Pedrini had been the talk of the town since October when he penned several controversial columns calling for officers to meet violence with violence and describing criminals as maggots. Police leaders put him on leave as they figured out a punishment that would address the harm he caused. It's an interesting solution. On Thursday, almost six months later, an apology from Pedrini was posted on the town's website as a result of the process he went through. Restorative justice. Quote, I apologize to everyone for publishing writings that are inconsistent with my and my department's values and actions. He wrote, I know I will have to work for a long time to rebuild that trust. Restorative justice is a way to address the harm caused to the community. It's usually used with uh, victims and their offenders. But it worked with a cop. It's, I think, the new Van Jones show. The parents of a man suspected of opening fire inside the Chabad synagogue in Poway, California, Southern California, during Passover service, killing a woman. The parents of that man issued an apology for their son being part of, quote, the history of evil, quote, against Jewish people. 
John Ernest, 19, of San Diego, is in custody. His family apologized for their son's alleged actions in a statement released their attorney. Attorneys are writing a lot of apologies these days. I wonder if they teach that in law school. To our great shame, the apology reads, he's now part of the history of evil that has been perpetrated on Jewish people for centuries. His family say it's a mystery where Ernest gained his alleged views and how he was attracted to such darkness, that's a quote, like our other five children. He was raised in a family of faith in a community that all rejected hate and taught that love must be the motive for everything we do. Quote. Families cooperating with investigators. Out of love. The New York Times has apologized for a cartoon published in the opinion pages of its international edition that drew widespread condemnation for being anti-Semitic. It portrayed a blind President Trump wearing a skull cap being led by Prime Minister of, Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, drawn as a dog with a leash, on a leash, with a star of David Collar. The image was offensive. It was an error of judgment to publish it, said the Times. Eileen Murphy, a spokeswoman, said the paper was deeply sorry for publishing the cartoon. It happened because only one person saw the cartoon uh, from the syndication site that it originated on before it was published in the international version of the paper because the paper has kind of thinned out its uh, supervisory staff, you see, to give a second pair of eyes to look at things. And now they're going to revisit that decision, they say. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange was sentenced to 50 weeks in prison by a British court this week for skipping bail. He read a letter out at the hearing. I apologize unreservedly who those, to those who consider that I have disrespected them by the way I've pursued my case. This is not what I wanted or intended, he said in a letter to the judge read out by his lawyer. Who uh, Did he re- write it? I don't know. As I say, law school. uh, apology writing, I found myself struggling with the terrifying circumstances for which neither I nor those from whom I sought advice could work out any remedy. I did what I thought at the time was best. This is referring to his strongly held fears that he would be extradited to the United States and treated like Chelsea Manning. One of Virginia's most popular companies is facing social media ridicule. Hundreds of posts are slamming Cynet systems over a racially discriminatory job posting. The, uh, it was posted across multiple job listing sites. It all said the same thing, quote, preferably Caucasian. The company apologized. A lot of critics wonder how the post could get even by the most cursory review. Well, if it just gets one set of eyeballs, like the New York Times. Dr. Phil apologized to Slippery Rock University this week after slighting it in comments he made about the college admissions scandal. He said he didn't know Slippery Rock existed and thought he was making up the name. Please accept my apology for referring to Slippery Rock during a recent interview as the antithesis of the kind of school parents in the college admissions scandal would be bragging about their children attending. He said, I've educated myself about SRU and could not be more impressed with your fine institution. Dr. Phil apology. A Dr. Phil apology. Stephen Orr, who was going to be one of Donald Trump's Nominees to uh, the Federal Reserve apologized. He was apologetic for the content of some of his old humor columns, which explained why even Republicans in the Senate wouldn't support him. Griff Matthews apologized for saying that uh, executive privilege in an interview with Kamala Harris is kind of sort of kind of like virginity. I'm sorry about that metaphor I used before, he said. I've been admonished already about it. And yet, and yet, 
Uh, the apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And that, while a lovely piece of music, is actually not the piece of music that was scheduled to be featured at this point in the program. And so, with the merest pause for technical adjustments, we now present that piece of music. The machine apologizes. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over this same station, if you're listening on the radio. It returns whenever you want it to return to your other audio device of choice. Hi, Alexa. Play the show again and again and again. And it would be just like really getting to know Alexa, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for efforts above and beyond to help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, where you'll get the playlist of the music, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the address of the email address. Did I say that? The address of the email address. I said, yeah. That's at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. I should read this stuff. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station. The change is easy. Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.